You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Are you getting used to that? It should just, just open right to Acts 2. Because this is the third Sunday, so we're, we're I mean, it's, you know how it is when you read a book and you at the same spot, it just sort of opens up to that uh, place. So maybe that's the way it'll be for you this morning, Acts chapter 2. We've been emphasizing uh, the idea of praying for the church in this year of prayer. And so we're going to do that again this morning. And, and this particular passage now has reached the end of the verse that says this. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and here's what we're going to talk about for a few moments this morning, kind of a twofold message. We're going to devote half the message to the breaking of bread, and then we're going to devote half the message to the prayers. What did that look like in the early church? We've been discussing the church, right? And we've been talking about how we can pray for the church. In fact, we've been practicing prayer. We did it yesterday for 24 hours, and we're trying to do it more in our small groups. We're being more intentional about prayer. We're even trying to be creative about ways that we can engage one another in prayer. And, and I'm, I'm really praying for God to, to just make that of utmost importance. And part of the purpose of this message this morning in this series of messages on praying for the church is to accomplish that in the next few moments we have together. We also discussed about the importance of our commitment to the truth. And we found that as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching or in the apostles' doctrine. Last week, we discussed fellowship. What does fellowship look like in the church? Why is it so important that God's people spend time together, pray together, worship together, study God's Word together, meet one another's needs? What does that look like in the church? And we went in depth about that word fellowship. So today, verse 42, the breaking of bread and prayers. Would you notice with me in Acts 2, beginning in verse 40? I'd like to read a little bigger portion of Scripture. I love to read the Bible. I'm sure you love to read it and listen to it. So follow along carefully. This is an amazing little passage. And with many of the words, he bore witness. He continued to exhort them. And Peter said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. (laughs) And they were added that day. Get this, church, about 3,000 souls. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let that sink in. One day, 3,000 souls were added to the church, were baptized. Incredible. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's our familiar passage. They devoted themselves to, uh, to a fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all who believed had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, they were selling their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. There it is again, verse 46, there's that reference, talking about breaking bread. They're doing it in their homes. They're doing it house to house, not just when they're together in one building, but they're doing it in small groups. They're doing it house to house. They receive their food with gladness and with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And wouldn't this be a great testimony for every Bible-believing church if the Lord were adding daily, day by day, those who were being saved? Church, 
for a pastor, that is one of the most exciting passages of Scripture in all the Bible. And when I look back and see what the early church was experiencing, I can only pray, God, do it again. Do it again. And we've seen God do these things, but why does he do these things? And what brings these things about? Well, let's jump into the text. Because the first thing we're going to do is talk about this idea of the Lord's Supper. And what are the truths we learn, simple truths we learn, about the Lord's table? Why is it so important to the church? Why was it important to the early church? Such emphasis placed on it. Well, pay close attention as I, as I give these quickly to you this morning. Number one, the first reason why the Lord's Supper is so important is because it was instituted by Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's important because anything that Jesus Christ is instituting, he's telling us to do, hey, the awareness goes way up in my mind. Because there's a lot of things that sometimes men will suggest, right? They're not biblical necessarily. There's no chapter and verse. But they're just good ideas. We go to church growth conferences. We hear all these ideas. A lot of them are good. Some work in certain contexts. Others don't. Some work in social, uh, certain countries. Others maybe wouldn't. But those are all man's ideas. Ten ways to do this or 15 ways to do that. But when Jesus Christ himself says, I want you to do this, there's no discussion, right? This is something that's very, very important. You can find this many places in Scripture, but let's look at one in particular. Jesus in Matthew 26 was with his disciples. He's in the upper room. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So here is Jesus himself speaking these words to his disciples in a very intimate setting. And he is instituting this thing we call the Lord's Supper. It was Jesus' idea. This is not man's idea. This is not the church's idea. This is not some religious ritual. This is something that Jesus Christ himself told us to do. That's exciting. And sometimes I know we know that, but to say it in a sermon, in a, to devote a whole point to it, to emphasize it the way I'm emphasizing it this morning, maybe brings us back to a place where we can all say together, wow, this is important. Jesus did say to do this. He instituted it. Number two, it was practiced in the early church. This was something that the early church took very seriously. In fact, notice it says they devoted themselves, not just to the teaching and to the fellowship, but to the breaking of prayers. They did this when they came together, and they did it from house to house. They did this often. There was something that was called the love feast, the agape meal. And as I began to look closer to those two meals, or those, one was called a love feast, an agape meal, really one in the, in the same, I look at verse number 46 in the text and see that there was something more oftentimes going on than just the Lord's Supper. There was this idea of a meal. They would have a meal together. In fact, who doesn't like to have a meal together? What would that father-son activity been like yesterday without the food, right? In fact, you know, you're doing all these activities, but the whole time you're doing them, you're thinking about, man, I'm starving. I can't wait to eat, right? Sure. 
And we, I talked yesterday to somebody about how, you know, when you got teenage boys, it's, it's always about the food, right? It's always about the next meal. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. And so when they would gather together, they would have this love feast. The, the whole idea was, yes, we are going to remember his death, and they're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, but they would do it included with a meal. So sometimes some say that they would do the bread first and remember the Lord's table by, by breaking bread and remembering his death in his body, broken body, and then they would eat and fellowship and have some time together. Then at the very end, they would take up the cup, and they would close with that. Others have said that it was just you start off by eating and fellowshipping around the table, and then at the very end, you close the meeting with this emphasis, this greater emphasis on the Lord's broken body and his shed blood on the cross. But what would happen is, and we see this by, because of Paul and Peter in the Word of God preaching to the church, and there was a problem. There were some excesses going on in those moments, and the emphasis was being taken off of remembering what Jesus did, and it was more about drinking. So people were getting drunk, and, and it was more about eating. The big deal was the food. And so people were putting more emphasis on getting eating, and, 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 and there was gluttony that was taking place, and the emphasis was taken off of what was most important, and that is to number three, remember. It helps us to remember the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is the purpose of our coming together. So about in the second century, this love feast, this agape meal, sort of just disappeared. It went away. And, and the church began to have this more of an intimate time of partaking of the Lord's Supper together as a church family remembering the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In Luke chapter number uh, uh, 22 and verse 19, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we're so thrilled about the Lord's Supper at our church. The emphasis is strong now when we come together. It's, it's never just uh, a tag-on in the service anymore. The Good Friday service is coming up. We'll have an announcement about that at the end of the service, some details. And it's on April the 15th. It starts at 7 p.m. And during that time, we're going to take communion together. There'll be a great emphasis on what Jesus did for us when he, when he died on the cross for our sins and made a way for us to have eternal life with him. And this is so important that there is an emphasis that Christ himself instituted for us to remember what he did for us by partaking together of the bread and the juice. The Lord's Supper represents Christ, and it helps us to remember him. In fact, in our statement of faith here at Gospel Light, a lot of times we are members of a church and we we, we don't take time to read some of the details in our statement of faith. I, I don't do it all the time either, but I did this morning, and I looked and said, it says the Lord's Supper for gospel light is this symbolic act of obedience whereby followers of Christ, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. And then in the covenant section of these church documents, it says that we expect every member of gospel light to participate regularly in the Lord's Supper as we reverently and joyfully remember the past work of Christ's atoning sacrifice and celebrate the present help of Christ as our mediator, whoever lives to intercede for us at the Father's right hand. Right here in our own church articles and, and documents and covenant is this emphasis 
on being and participating in the Lord's Supper. You know, we have a lot of activities at our church. There's a lot going on. In fact, this weekend, we had the Father-Son activity, the, the house of prayer, and other things to go to. But can I tell you, there's something, if I were you, and, and as a member of this church, I, I, I commit this to you, not just because I'm the pastor, but because I know the importance of this. I, I, would, I would never miss the Lord's Supper on that calendar. It's that important. It is so important. And here's my fourth reason why it is so important. Because it is a special and unique presence of Christ. It, it's special and unique. It's, it's with us when we, when we take the bread and break it, when we take the cup and drink it. it. There's nothing mystical or magical about it. But I can tell you from experience that there is something so special and so unique when the church gathers together to remember the Lord's death. We've learned this together. We've learned it because we've taken the time to enter in with our whole heart passionately. And, and, And the emphasis on worship and music and examining ourselves, we usually take a whole hour and set aside a whole hour. And so many people in our church have have testified to me personally that there is nothing they enjoy more than taking the Lord's Supper with Gospelite family. I've heard it dozens of times. Ever since we we took it away from just this almost non-essential part of a service, and we set it aside as the focus of everything we do and say for one hour. It's that powerful. It's that meaningful. Hey, it's that special. It's unique, and it's important. The Apostle Paul said a lot about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to give you really quick four ways that we can benefit spiritually from the Lord's Supper as we move through this quickly and, and get to the second thing about prayer. But I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to miss this because this was important to the early church. This was foundational to the early church. This was in the same verse as doctrine and fellowship and prayer. The Lord's table, breaking bread together remembering his death. Number one, Paul said we need to remember to look back. When we take the Lord's Supper, we benefit from the Lord's Supper because we look back. Look, if you would, uh, at the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Look back. Remember what I did. The very next verse, he mentions the fruit of the vine, the new covenant, the cup, the blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Look back and remember what I did for you. Remember how I died. Remember why I died. Oftentimes, as we're being led in worship, we hear this. We hear this right here. We hear things like, I want you to think about this. Let's just think about this together. Let's take a moment as we sing this song, as we worship together. Let's think together about this. What what are we thinking about? We're thinking about something that already happened. We're thinking about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We're entering into the past, and it's affecting our present. Paul said, look back. My boys and I love to take what we call boys' trips. They're once a year. They're special. I've been doing them for about 20 years. And we just take off for a few days. We usually go to a ball game somewhere, eat together, talk together. It's awesome. My girls, my my wife and and, and daughter-in-law, uh, Tiffany and Chloe are on their girls' trip. Sue stayed back because she had some other activities with Mo and the kids to do. But I love these little trips. They're just simply to stay connected and talk and, and get to know each other better. It's just been revolutionary for, for my relationship with the boys. What we do a lot of times is we go to an area and we say, what's cool here? 
And oftentimes, what's cool is history. Like I told the, my, my, my wife and uh, daughter, y'all need to go down and, you know, that, that where Kennedy was assassinated. And it's a fascinating museum, and there's a lot there. And, and they're going to do that, I think, tomorrow. We went to Boston one year. We watched the Celtics play. That was pretty, you know, historical as well. You know, what a legendary team that is. But we also went to the Freedom Trail. Has anybody in the, only four people in the first service have ever been to Boston to the Freedom Trail. Has anybody done the Freedom Trail in Boston? Wow, a lot more folks. Good. Okay, about a dozen folks in this service. It's really cool. It's, it's memorable. There's Bunker Hill. There's the USS Constitution. There's Paul Revere's home. There's the Old North Church. Mo went crazy. There's Mo right there. He's a history buff. He loved it. He liked it more than the basketball game, you know. He was just into it. Dad, this is where Paul Revere, you know, lived. And, and you walk the trail. It, it takes several hours to do the whole thing. We did the whole thing. It was awesome. And we look back at the history of our country and some of the things that revolutionized, you know, our nation and separated us from other countries. But that's not what this is. This is different. This is not a museum where we just come and look at relics and statues. No, this is different. This is remembering and meditating and reflecting and worshiping what Jesus did for us to save us from our sins. This is so important. And so we look back and we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And when we remember, we need to remember this. (laughs) He's alive. Thank you. Two people are excited about that. I just said Jesus is alive. Amen. amen. And I know not everybody's into amens, but hey, that's a good spot for one if you're not into them even, really. I mean, he was dead and he came back to life. By the way, if he would not have come back to life, you do know we, we would be lost forever, right? That's a pretty critical moment in history. And when we remember the death of Christ, may we also celebrate the fact that he is alive this morning. He's meeting with us. Hey, by the way, he's actually here this morning. He's here. He's with us. Man, wow, that's just awesome. Number two, not only do we look back, but we look ahead. We look ahead. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're looking forward to the coming of Christ. And some of the celebration of the Lord's Supper would include this idea that Jesus Christ is alive and he's coming back. And we do this until he comes. We proclaim his death. And in proclaiming his death, we remember that Jesus Christ has forgiveness of our sins. We believe, we've received him, and, and we proclaim that. We preach the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Jesus has promised a future meal with us. The church is the bride of Christ, and he's promised a meal someday, and that meal is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and and we are going to partake with him in that moment, and we look forward to that. Amen? We look ahead when when we gather for the table. Then thirdly, we look within. We look within. Truth is, there's always a fresh application of truth in our lives every time we reflect on the Lord's death, even this morning. For, for me, this, 
the last couple of weeks, it's been that song, The Son of Suffering. It's been fresh. It's just fresh. You know? I mean, go back and read the words to that song. Don't sing it. Just read the words and just reflect. And it's like fresh. It's just like, wow, God. Man, there's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the the lamb who, who died for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. It's fresh. And when we look within, when we begin to examine these things, it's, it's amazing. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Uh, Paul said, whoever therefore eats the bread, drinks the cup in an unworthy manner, not considering it, not reflecting on it, just, you know, just, just taking it like, like it was some other meal, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. Let a man examine himself. Let a man look within Then, and eat of the bread and drink of the cup, because anyone who eats and drinks without looking within, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. I liken it to when people burn the flag. I don't know that the the, the bad part of all of that is really the cloth part of the flag. That's not really what I think is so much wrong with it. It's, It's what the flag represents. And the same is with the Lord's Supper. It's not the elements It's not making sure you get the biggest piece of bread or how the bread tastes or how the bread doesn't taste or the juice, whether it's, you know, grape juice or wine. That's not the the important thing, what what it represents. That's what the important thing is. And so as we look within, we must examine ourselves. Let's make sure the Lord's Supper does not become a ritual. Let's make sure that we are not a pretender in this thing, that we're looking within, that we're examining our hearts. You know, nobody likes exams. We just had midterm exams. No, I I haven't met a kid yet. I love exams. I can't wait, you know. This is a spiritual exam, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we have to face our sin and confess our sin, but it's good for us. It's what we need. It's what Scripture teaches. Look within. And then finally, number four, we need to look around. Look around at your church family. Notice it says here in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 33, So then, my brothers, so then, my sisters, when you come together to eat, when you come together to partake of the Lord's table, wait for one another. We're not all exactly in this room where we spiritually the same. I mean, some have grown more. Some come with a, maybe a little more fervency and experience, and some come with their sins, uh, you know, just confessed, and, 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 and others come for the first time, newly born Christians, don't even know really what the Lord's table is all about. They're trying to learn it. And I think Scripture teaches here, don't be in a rush. Take your time. Wait for one another. Don't rush. You know, church, we try to rush everything. I do. Everything's about, let's get done with that. Let's move on to the next thing. That was too long. That was too short. And it all becomes, and I get it, we have to have schedules. But I think sometimes in the hustle and bustle of life, we're not able to really take anything in, enjoy it. Even prayer becomes sort of a a, a task just to take time. And I think the Scripture here is just teaching, wait, wait. Enjoy it. You know, my dad growing up, I'll never forget this. It was a, it was a big-time tradition. I was raised in a, in, a, uh, in a, my mom and dad were divorced, so I was raised in a single-parent home, but I went with my dad every other weekend. And that was kind of how I was raised all the way to about 20. And uh, we'd go to dad's house on the weekends, and 
And dad only had two meals with us a week, just, just Friday night and Saturday night, and then he took us back to mom on Sunday. And that was every other week. So two meals out of 14. So dad would serve the meal. He wasn't near as good a cook as mom, but he, in fact, his famous meal was fried bologna and cheese Doritos. To this day, my favorite Dorito is cheese. I just grew up eating cheese Doritos. I love them. I think they're the greatest chip ever born or created. Sorry. And uh, we'd sit sometimes fried bologna and Cheetos and uh, Doritos. And dad would say this, all right, boys, we're going to pray. And my dad was Catholic, so he'd do the sign of the cross, you know. And he'd start praying. Then he'd, we'd finish praying, and he'd say, all right, take your time, son. I only, get, I only get two meals with you every other week. Let's talk. Take a bite. Put the sandwich down. Let's talk. Let's, and we did that. That's how, that's how my dad and I connected through divorce and through, was we just waited. We took our time. We conversed. Dad made sure that we savored every bite and every conversation. Let's come to the Lord's table like that. Relax. Have a seat somewhere. Enjoy. Take it in. Talk. Fellowship. Get to know people in the church. Pray with people in the church. Wait for one another. Don't rush. Even on Sundays, maybe we need to take our time a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of joking about the fact that we like to, you know, I say we, but the church in general, it's all about how fast can I get to the car and how fast can I get to lunch. And, and I get that. And I'm hungry too. But I love to see God's people just tarry for a while in fellowship. And then let's transition to the second part of the message. And we're over 50% done, if that gives you a little bit of relief. Amen? But now the breaking of bread and prayers. So let's talk just for a moment about how they continued steadfastly in prayer. What did the early church know about prayer? Here's what they knew. They knew that there was no success in the early church apart from the power of prayer. None. Before they did anything, they prayed. Before anything significant took place, they understood that the secret to success in their church was prayer. And so let me give you some references that we can learn from in the early church. These are just simple references from the book of Acts and other portions of Scripture that allow us to understand something about why they experienced what they experienced. It wasn't because of these church growth ideas and books. They didn't have those. It was because of one thing, the power of prayer. And church, I confess to you that too much of our church's function has come from church growth books and not the unction of the Holy Spirit of God. And so even as a pastor, I've confessed and been intimate and transparent with you that, yes, I pray, and we've prayed, and we've had seasons of prayer, and we've had revivals of prayer in our church family. But for 30 years, we've also understood the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. We're not a perfect church, and they were not a perfect church. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So pay close attention. Number one, the early church began on a foundation of prayer. The whole foundation was prayer. The whole foundation. Oh, look at it with me, if you would, beginning in Acts 1, verse 14, right? Foundation, chapter 1, right out of the gates. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, pay close attention to this. We're in Acts 1, 14. Jesus had just ascended, right? Acts 1, 14 is just six verses away from Acts 1, 8 where Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So he's just ascended to heaven. He, he's just returned to heaven, and they're waiting. And what are they doing while they're waiting? They are praying. 
They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to, to fill them with power. The first, the foundational thing they did was wait and pray. This was the early church. Before there was preaching, there was praying. Before there was witnessing, there was praying. Before there was discipleship, there was praying. It was foundational. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. What was the secret to the ministry of Jesus? It was prayer. Jesus, before Jesus' ministry began, he prayed. Jesus prayed before meals. Jesus prayed before a big decision. Jesus prayed to relieve relational tension and pressure. Jesus prayed during times of success and during times of failure. Jesus prayed during times of sorrow and during times of affliction. Jesus prayed after a stressful day. Jesus prayed for spiritual power. Jesus prayed after a provision of God. And if Jesus prayed, how can we afford as his followers to do anything different? We need to do the same thing as Jesus did. I can understand if it was Paul prayed. Well, you know, that's Paul, but maybe. No, Jesus prayed. It was foundational to the church. And I think it would be wise for us to to take a a look at, at this. Is the great lack that we do often see in our lives and ministry, could it be that it's due to the unwillingness to take Jesus seriously in this matter of prayer? Could it be that this whole theme is what could revolutionize our families, our small groups, our church, our effectiveness? Could it be that baptistry waters could be stirred if we just get back to this? I mean, I know there's 10 ways to lead a soul to Christ, but what about just getting on our knees and praying for power, praying for revival, praying for God to create gospel conversations during the day and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine if we get back to the foundational secret to success of the early church, prayer? And then secondly, not only was it foundational, but it was their source of spiritual power. And they knew it. They knew it. Look at Acts 4, verse 31. In Acts 1 and verse 8, he said, stay and pray. And then in Acts 4, 31, when they had prayed... Do you see the emphasis there? When they had prayed, they've already prayed. They've been praying. They've been praying for days, for weeks. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, can I insert something right here that I think is really important for us to get connected to the early church? Because they were not a perfect church. Sometimes I think what we're looking for when we try to identify ourselves with, with the way things ought to be according to Scripture, we are looking for perfection. Well, we need to get this down before we get that down. Well, no, no. The early church was not a perfect church. They had liars in the church. They had pretenders in the church. They had arguments in the church. They argued. I mean, they had actual, they bickered back and forth about things. They, they, they weren't perfect. But they understood that the only way to get through those problems was to, was to have the spiritual power of God to learn how to apply Scripture to the church so that they could overcome some of those difficulties they were having. It all came back to the importance of prayer. Prayer was the source of their spiritual power. Number, number three, prayer was the priority of their leaders. Can you imagine... 3,000 people converted this weekend at Gospel Light. What, what if that were to happen? What if, what if I were to get up next Sunday and say, man, I don't know what's happened, but since we've been praying, we had 3,000 people saved this weekend. They all want to get baptized. 
no amens right there, probably pretty, probably good. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be awesome, and it would be, but I would, I would quickly call Scott Mercer and say, Scott, I need you to take 400 into your small group this week. We got 3,000 that have been converted, and we need to put them somewhere. We need to start, I, I figure we need to start probably for 3,000 people around 400 small groups. You say, what are you telling me this for? Because the church had problems. They had difficulties. They had a lot going on. They needed resources. They needed people. They needed leaders. They needed training. They needed curriculum. There was all kinds of needs in the early church. And, and because of that, they, they recognized the importance of how difficult it was going to be. It was overwhelming to think about how are we going to do all of this? How are we going to make this happen? The church is growing. We're experiencing revival. We don't know what to do. In Acts chapter 6, things kind of reach a little bit of a, of a climax with this. And the Bible says that in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint was made. And the complaint was this, listen, the widows are being neglected in the daily activities of the church. And so the 12 summoned the full number of disciples together, and they said, look, it's not right. It's not right that the elders are having to leave preaching and praying to serve tables. I mean, there's nothing wrong with serving tables, and we should do that, but Man, we're finding ourselves overwhelmed with people problems. We got so much going on, and we're just, we just don't have time to study and pray. And so, brothers, I want you to pick out from among you seven men. I want these seven men to be of good repute. I want to be full of the Spirit, have a lot of wisdom, and let's appoint these men to the duty of the business of the church. We need some men to step up. We need some laymen to step up and say, how can we help? And so this is where the deacons were chosen. Notice what the elders said in verse 4. Here's why we need this. So we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. They knew. These leaders knew that the most difficult, the, the, the most pressure involved in the ministry of a pastor is how do I balance people and prayer? How do I balance the busyness of the phone calls, the text messages, and the emails, and all of that? And I love it, and I love pastoring, and I love figuring this stuff out. But I'll tell you, it is the biggest burden that any pastor carries. Biggest one is ministering to people, helping the widows, help, and, and somehow finding time to pray. And let me tell you what usually gets left out, that. That's the one that gets robbed. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew this was the thing they struggled with. We've got to study more. We've got to get in the Word more. We've got to pray more. But, but, but. And so they, they came up with what, what was a wonderful way to do it, and that is what we announced a moment ago. John Schroeder, deacon, lawns. Sure, the staff can do it. Sure, the elders can do it. But God's method was could we get some men in the church to help mow the lawn so the pastors don't have to? Because they really need to study the Word and pray. That's their biggest ministry. So I say all that lovingly. There's no anger here, frustration at all. It's just speaking the truth in love, but helping us to understand why those announcements are not just, well, hey, they get paid. What we do, <laughs> and, 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 and I understand that, and that's true, and, and, and that's, I, well, to, be, to, to stay on track, I don't want to get off because I don't want anybody thinking that. So I don't want to accuse anybody of even thinking that. But I do want all of us to remember and to understand that we could help our pastors here if we would get more involved in the work of the ministry so they could pray more and study the word more. Can I get an amen there? Okay, so let's move on. 
So the early church knew it. Number four, prayer was the way out of hardship. It was the way out of hardship. Now, I don't have time to go into this this morning because I, I really want to do something special at the end of the service. And we're going to do something totally different during our response time. And I don't want to take up that time. But I do want to draw your attention to this crazy story in Scripture. And here's what I'm going to do. This, this, this actually is, is pretty cool. If everybody would jot down Acts chapter number 12 and read verse 1 through 16 sometime this week, I think it will bless your heart. To make a long story short, Peter was in prison, right? He was thrown in prison. Can you imagine this morning if, let's just say, Kevin Connor stood up and said, look, church, I, I know I'm not the pastor, but this week all of our pastors were arrested and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, so you're stuck with me. I mean, I guarantee you, it would, it would shake us, right? Can you imagine how they felt? Peter was in prison. And so we see in verse number five, very, very, very seriously here, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. What do you think they prayed? They get out. Oh, God, our pastor's in prison. Oh, Father, please rescue him. Do a miracle. Oh, Father, he's so faithful to preach the word. And so they're praying earnestly, oh, Father. Well, to make a long story short, this angel comes and wakes Paul up. He thinks he's having a dream. It's a craziest story. I love it, man. I've read it over and over this week. He runs out on the street, comes to his senses, the Bible says. He's like, whoa, whoa. Angel takes off. He's like left by himself. I'm out. This is incredible. I'm going to run back to the, to the folks that are praying for me. He goes. He knocks on the door. They open the door. This lady named Rhoda opens the door. She sees Peter. She slams the door in his face. Like, no, no, don't tell me our prayers got answered. You know, this is crazy. She runs back and says, I think Peter's at the door. It's an unbelievable story. It's unreal. But notice, if you would, in verse 16, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. What does this tell us about them? They didn't have perfect faith. Like us. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I mean, I really believe, look, I know some of you in this building, you have needs. You have marriages that are broken. We have financial needs. We have serious needs in our, in our lives. We have serious needs in our emotions, in our mental health. And I'm praying for you, but I'm thinking, God, is this really going to happen? And God, can you really do this? This seems so big, and I just don't know. But I keep on praying till the light breaks through because I believe the Lord will answer. He'll answer you. God keeps his promises. Words are true. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. It's not always easy when you're in hardship, when you're going through it. You kind of wonder, will I ever get through this? And then God answers your prayer, and it's like, oh, I can't believe it. God actually did what I asked him to do. This is crazy, you know. So we pray because it's the way out of hardship. The early church knew the way out of problems and the way to find victory was through this matter of prayer but what happens when the hardship is not removed? Anybody been praying here for a year or two or three or four about a hardship and it's not been removed? I've got one like that. Maybe you do. Number five, prayer was the way through hardship. And they understood that. Sometimes, and I don't know who said this quote, sometimes we pray for smoother paths when we should be praying for stronger shoes. It just doesn't get smooth sometimes. It just doesn't let up. It's hard. And look with me, if you would, at the early church in Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas 
they're praying and singing hymns to God. Oh, that's great. They must have been in a small group, right? That's a great place to pray and sing hymns to God. Oh, I know where they were. They were at church on a Sunday morning, and, and, and Jordan was leading worship, and they were just praising God. No, no, they were actually in prison, and they'd been there a while. And it didn't look like they were getting out. The Philippian jailer's about to be saved. In fact, if you read the rest of the text, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're in prison. (laughs) But notice here, this beautiful text, they prayed to get out, but they did not get out. So they just prayed and sang hymns. Somehow, in the midst of the hardship, though they weren't out of it, they were in it, but they found a way to pray through it, to pray through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes I'm just amazed at how people keep going through hardship. I had lunch this week with Stefan DeLorenzo. He's the director of Teen Challenge. We're blessed with him in this city. Stefan is amazing. He's only been here one year, and he's from Indiana. Stefan's 32 years old. So we're having lunch together, and we sat down. I said, Stefan, tell you what I'm going to do. I said, I want you to talk. You've got one hour. I'm all yours. I don't want to talk. I want to hear about your life. Just start from when you were born and end on today at this table. And so he did. It took him an hour. He talked about his whole life. About 30 minutes in, this, these big tears started welling up in his eyes, in Stefan's eyes, right at San Francisco Bread Company. We're sitting there in the middle of the restaurant. It's full. And he starts crying, and his shoulders are heaving. And I'm like, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm just about to tell you the, the part of the story that God didn't answer the way that I asked. And so they had three girls, and he always wanted to have a boy. So his wife got pregnant, and she was pregnant with the son. And she carried that baby for several months. But at seven months, there was an emergency that came on, and he told me the word. He didn't even know what all the words were. So his wife knew, but knew what the words were, but there was things that were going on in her that either she was going to die or the baby was going to die. It was a very serious moment, so they had to go into emergency surgery to deliver the baby, and it lived for 15 minutes in his arms and died. And there may be somebody here that's experienced this, and I know this is sensitive if you have, but for me it was very emotional. Stefan just wept and cried and told me how that for a few weeks after that he was mad at God. He got out of church and he just took it so personal that God would allow this to happen and not do anything about it because he prayed that God would heal his son and he can't believe that God would, would, would do this. He said, and then through a series of times with a prayer with his father, he got a peace that God had allowed this to happen so that he could conform to the image of God's son. And he said, he he all of a sudden realized, my son's not dead, he's alive. He's with Jesus. And the reality of his son being with Jesus makes him happy. And he says now he can share the story with everybody he talks to. It was the hardest thing of his life. And by the way, he's still walking through it. That the, the fact that his son died didn't change. His son is still not here. He's in heaven. He's not here. How is Stefan DeLorenzo in ministry today leading an incredible ministry called Teen Challenge in Hot Springs, Arkansas with 55 men every day pouring into him the joy of the Lord because he knows that prayer is the only way through hardship. My wife and all that she's been through with her health and ulcerative colitis and the thing, I, I, I just, I, sometimes I marvel at her connection with God. I'm humbled by it. I am, I'm jealous of it. 
She has a connection that I, I don't know that I, I can have like she has because of what she's been through. Church, if you've been through a hardship, if you're still going through a hardship, prayer is the way through that. Prayer. And so let's as a church family understand how important it is for us to pray together, especially when somebody's going through a hard time. And then number six, and I'm done. Look at Acts chapter 20 on the screen. And let me say this before I read it. Prayer was how they ministered to one another. Now, this is critical. This is closing. This is it. Five minutes. Prayer was how they ministered to one another. Think about that. Prayer is how we are to minister to one another. We, we put all this emphasis on teaching, and we should, and it's in the verse. And we put a lot of emphasis on going to church, and we put a lot of emphasis on discipleship, and we should. But where's the emphasis on prayer? It's, it's here. It's right here, right now. So don't miss this. It's how they minister to one another. Look at Acts chapter number 20. So Paul said this. If you go back to verse 17, you'll find that he gathered the elders together. They had this real emotion. He was going to see them for the last time, and he loved this church. He'd been with them for two years. So you can imagine his closing comments to the church. This was emotional. This would be like me saying, look, I'm, 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 I'm leaving, or I'm, I'm gone, or I'm going to another country, and, and this is my last Sunday. You can imagine Paul in this moment as he knelt before this congregation. He poured his heart out to them. And then notice in verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed man that was a lot of weeping what about that last night fathers and sons what about that how many times did we see a dad break down last night how many times did we see a father just I mean what about Josh last night he, he started talking about his voice and he just put his head down he turned around he, he lost control he was comfortable he was with his brothers and sisters in Christ he was in a community of people who he knows love him. So tears were no problem last night. Sometimes I'm afraid we come to church and we feel as if we have to put up this front. I get it, I get it. I know the temptation. This is family. What would happen right now if I were just to stop? Or if an hour ago I would have just said, church, I've got a message. I want to, I've, I've got it. I don't know why God's telling me this, but after Jordan leads us in worship, let's, let's just pray for an hour. Well, that's not what we pay you for, Pastor. We pay you to preach. I mean, we want to hear a sermon. I do too. I like to preach. And it would probably be hard for me not to preach because I like it so much. But I wonder if it would be harder for you to pray than it really is for me not to preach. Prayer has vacated our churches, including this one. We are so accustomed to going through the motions and sticking with an order of service that if there's any interruption to that, if I were to start weeping and I were to need prayer, or we were to anoint somebody with oil or pray over somebody, we look at that as mystical and spooky versus the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching to myself. I have fallen into that trap as a leader. And, and believe me, this is not about me standing up here telling you how it's done. This is about me confessing to you that I'm learning right now with you. I'm learning. God's showing me stuff and teaching me things through the scriptures about prayer. I'm not sure how to institute it all in one moment. I can't give you all the answers, but I just know that in this text, there was weeping. And then they embraced Paul. They kissed him. 
They were sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Notice in this text the words, he knelt down, he prayed, they wept, they embraced. There was this community of love, but it came through prayer. And I'm believing that God is going to change this church through this year. Listen, we spend too much time talking about each other and not enough time praying with each other. We're having way too many conversations about each other. Have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard about so-and-so? And we talk, and we talk, and we talk, and we talk about each other. Why don't we pray with each other? Yes, Eric, pray with each other. And so this morning, let's try it. What do you say we just try it right now? You say, well, Pastor, where's the worship team? Aren't they? No, they're, I, got, I got a tape or CD or whatever they do up there. We're going to let the music play so that everybody can be here. Just so we can pray for, it's 12.05, how about 10 minutes? I'm, I'm in, you in? See, how are we going to do it? Well, first of all, I want to ask our, those that got an email to come up to the front with me right now, just in our church. I know I emailed Paula, emailed Kevin, emailed Scott and Christy, Jordan and Mackenzie. If there's any other people that I emailed, come on, Mo, I think you got any. I just emailed a few leaders in the church. And I just, this is why I did this. Maybe someone here right now, your marriage is, is hurting. Your finances are hurting. You lost your job this week. You've got some pregnancy concerns. You're hurting. You've just got, this is for you. I want you to come and have these dear precious people who I believe are godly people. And, and I think many are, here are godly too. But God's put them in a leadership role. Would you come in a moment if you are hurting and need special prayer? Just come. Just come and let let them pray over you or your children or your, your need. And just, it'll just take a moment. And then if, if there's more than four or five, just wait for the next one. I never forget this. I was at Jim Symbolist Church. Tell you a little story real quick so you'll feel comfortable with coming. And I went to Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I, I, I went to go to a prayer meeting, and I got there an hour early. And these lines were, there was four lines going down the aisles of the church out onto the street. And I thought these were people that were waiting to get seats because I was outside. What, what is it? And they said, no, that's, that's the prayer lines. People come three hours early to pray with the pastoral staff every Tuesday night. I said, is this like a special? No, no, this is every Tuesday night people come to pray, to get prayed over. So this morning, if you've got that kind of a prayer need, I encourage you to come forward. But if not, why don't you just lean over to the person next to you and just say, hey, let's pray together. What can I pray with you about? Let's just talk to God. There was a guy that came to church today for the first time. His name's Eric, and he was here, and just a nice man. He actually used to come to our church when we were in the small building, the first church. It's been 28 years since he's been here, and he came back this morning. And I went and got him, and we came forward, and we just prayed together and got reconnected. Eric and Eric, it was sweet. We had some guests from Africa, had a missionary from Africa this morning at, eight, at 9 o'clock. It's cool. I prayed with them. He said, was it awkward? No, they're my brothers and sisters. So let's not make this awkward. Let's just have a time of prayer. So if you need to come, you come right now. Come on, just come out. And if you want to pray with somebody sitting next to you, don't leave anybody out. Let's just pray together as a church right now. Let's do that.